I probably just need to explain why I'm sitting tonight. I'm not tired and I'm not feeling unwell and I'm not training to be a Jewish rabbi. <laughs> but I did fall off my bike two weeks ago and um, had a nasty sprained hand and an injury to my ankle, which is healing well, but it's not wise to stand on it for 20 minutes. Um, so I'm sitting. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that we've heard tonight. Your word that has come to us through your people over the centuries. And we pray that as we reflect on those words, we may enter into something of that spirit of awe and wonder that has been felt by so many people, drawing them closer to you and more closely into your purposes. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, as some of you know, my wife and I moved house last year, still living in the same town, but we had a house move. It was one of those downsizes, you know, always difficult. How do you decide what to get rid of? We sold a few things. We gave a lot of things away. I lost count of the number of times I went to the local tip, and there were a few visits to the local charity shop as well. And on one occasion when I was going to the charity shop, I had a collection of bags, I took them in to the lady, and then I said, oh, and in this box there are some coffee mugs here, um, do you want those? Thinking she might say, oh no. And she opened the box, I mean they were just ordinary coffee mugs, I said we really don't need 55 coffee mugs in our kitchen any longer. Um, reasonably attractive, in good condition, they were clean, but she lifted one of them out of the box and she looked at it and she said, awesome, awesome. And I thought, I don't think so. <laughs> Useful, but not awesome. I think I'd just come from the seafront down by Dover Harbour and uh, it was one of those days when the, the wind was wild and the waves were crashing up on the, the harbour wall as they, they do so often. And uh, I just stood there and thought and reflected for a while that that's been going on for centuries and centuries, the crashing of the waves um, on the shore, not only there but in so many places all around the world. And then I thought about how there is that constant pattern of tidal moves twice a day in most places. Um, and not only can you predict exactly when high tide is going to be on Christmas Day or New Year's Day or halfway through next year or sometime in 2030, not only can you predict when it's going to be high tide, but you can also predict how high the tide is going to be and how low, low tide is going to be uh, and so on, which is quite remarkable. And then I stood and I stood and looked at the, the white, famous White Cliffs of Dover, on which I've stood on top of sometimes on the Easter Sunday morning uh, for a sunrise service and uh, remembered how spectacular it is to be able to see the sunrise anywhere, really, um, but especially across the sea or a sunset, and how no two sunrises and no two sunsets are ever the same. And in fact, even half a minute apart they're not the same because the rising and the setting of the sun is of course a process isn't it and we've all those sort of thoughts buzzing around in my mind I thought to myself having handed these coffee mugs over I thought to myself that's awesome isn't it that's awesome 
God's creation is genuinely awesome. Some weeks ago, Martin was following his usual practice on a Sunday morning uh, up in the hall, as Keena did just now, uh, in welcoming people by saying, sort of, uh, where do you come from? Uh, good to see you. Of course, when you're in the big hall, it's a large space, and it is quite difficult to hear what people are saying from one side of the hall to another. And on this occasion, uh, somebody shouted out that they came from New Zealand, and he thought that they said they came from Norway. And Keena and I were sitting next to each other, and Keena just said to me, well, close. And I said to her, yeah, well, it's on the same planet, isn't it? And of course, if you look at it like that, if you happen to be engaging in interplanetary space travel, if you've come from Saturn or Mars, then to get to Norway and find actually you've made a slight mistake and you need to go on to New Zealand is but a little tweak of whatever machinery you happen to be dealing with. And it would hardly be worth adjusting your travel expenses for, would it, on that sort of a journey? You know, when you look at it in that kind of uh, di- that, that kind of dimensions, you realise something of the uh, uh, awesomeness of God's creation. And that's why I, I chose that, th- that format for the Genesis 1 reading tonight. I only came across it quite recently, and I thought, just to put it in that context to people who were in outer space, and they were the first three people who actually, um, not just... Uh, there was somebody else who'd orbited the Earth, but they were the first people who actually were in what is called the gravity well of another planet back in 1968. And it's wonderful that they actually chose to recite those words from Genesis chapter 1 about the creator and the creation, isn't it? So coming back to Earth, we could uh, carry on with our reflections on this awesomeness of God's creation Think about the magnificent contrast of mountains, lakes and hills and valleys, not to mention the exquisite colour schemes that we have in spring and autumn in some parts of the globe, certainly in this country. Um, Not to mention the miracle of growth that we've begun to understand something about, but there's no way we understand fully. And of course that will all be part of the um, reason behind next week's celebration of Harvest Festival and all that God provides for us in that way. And for many of us, of course, these reflections on our surroundings lead us to the conclusion that this is truly awesome and that the one who has created it, who's made it all, is awesome. I remember some years ago somebody saying it would probably be wise if we didn't talk quite so much about the environment and talk so much about, talked a little bit more about the creation Not because there's anything wrong about talking about our environment. It simply explains about our surroundings. But when we use the word creation, it does remind us that there is a creator behind the creation. And so no wonder that the psalmist of Psalm 8 was so full of wonder and uh, uh, as he contemplated the heavens. You remember that famous psalm, the moon and the stars which uh, your fingers have made. And no wonder he felt rather insignificant in the light of uh, everything he saw and so posed that question, what is man that you should be mindful of him? And some two and a half thousand years later than that psalm was written, having discovered so many more things than the psalmist had ever discovered uh, in his time, um, we can be even more astonished and we can be even more full of wonder. Uh, And hopefully we are prompted to ask that question in even deeper humility. 
what is man? What is, hu what is human life? What are we as men and women uh, in the, uh, the whole uh, scheme of things? The whole cosmos uh, makes us say, awesome. We're left with that uh, niggling feeling, how, you know, what is our significance here? But in terms of Christian theology, of course, we're, we're not just left with the thought that we are simply insignificant creatures um, in a creation that blows our mind away. Uh, and that really, this really takes us on to another level of awesomeness. And it happens, of course, when we come to the story of the Bible and we read about how God has revealed himself to the human race. In, through many years, through the history of Israel, and uh, more specifically in the coming of Jesus to earth. The Bible certainly teaches, about, teaches us about the big God of big creation. But he also teaches us that, uh, it also teaches us that big God interacts with us as men and women. There's an inf a, f a fascination, isn't there, about important people. Uh, I guess you get caught up in this as well. Uh, you know, whether we're talking about somebody who's a major political figure like a president or a, a prime minister uh, uh, an African or an American president, religious leader like the Pope um, or the Archbishop of Canterbury or somebody like Meghan Markle who marries into the royal family. Um, when you think about these important people or people who become important and high profile, you know something about the power they wield and the influence they have. Uh, but then you find yourself wanting to get to, to know something about them as people which is why magazines make so much money out of these interviews they conduct with people, and why there are so many television programmes and radio programmes where famous people are interviewed, and uh, people not only want to know about uh, where they were born and what they eat for breakfast, they want to know everything that makes them tick uh, and how they come to be able to do the job that they do and all the rest of it. And so what then is the nature of this God? If we're thinking about God as the, the greatest of all beings. What is the nature of this God who's been responsible for such an awesome creation? Well, what this God is like, of course, becomes clear as we read on and through, further through the pages of the Bible, especially when we come to the story of Jesus. He's the God who cares for creation, um, including the human race, who continues to care and love those who've been charged uh, with looking after his world and who we've been charged with looking after one another and who carries on caring even when we've made a bit of a mess of it all. You know, we sometimes say when you're a bit of a mess, you find out who your friends are, don't you? Even when you've made a mess of life, you find out who your friends are. That is even more true in Christian terms, but uh, when we've made a mess of things, we find out who our friends are and God is our friend in that sense, that he has not written us off having made a mess of his world. He's not written us off having made a mess of our relationships with one another. And even though we've dug this big hole for ourselves, God reaches out in order to try and get us out of the hole. And so the Apostle Paul put it into really sharp focus, I think, in those few words that Kay read for us tonight from uh, the letter to the Romans. Um, when we were unable to help ourselves, at the moment of our need, Christ died for us, although we were living against God. 
And then Paul goes on to contrast God's behaviour with what we might call natural human behaviour. He says, very few people will die to save the life of somebody else. In fact, we know that some people wouldn't even cross the road to save the life of somebody else. But very few people would die to save the life of somebody else. Although maybe, he says, for a good person, somebody might possibly die. But God showed his love for us in this way, that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. Now that's pretty awesome when we find somebody willing to care for us and not give us up um, in those kind of situations. To find that the God who made all things, who sustains all things, who had a purpose for us, is still willing to keep hold of us even when we've messed it all up, is truly awesome. And we express that very often in our uh, communion service liturgies. Um, and I quote from just one of them, um, one of the ones that, in fact, we use in the Christmas communion service. When we come to the great act of thanksgiving, the great prayer of thanksgiving, focus it in a few words like this. Through your word, you spoke creation into existence, made us in your image and your likeness. When we disobeyed your laws and we drew away from you, you did not leave us in our darkness, but sent your son, the word made flesh, to be the light of the world, emptied of all but love. He was born of Mary, shared our nature, and died on the cross. Never let familiarity with that kind of love take it for, to help us to take it for granted. Because it is awesome, and we need to just revel in the wonder the undeserved nature of it all, time and time again. And there's just one other thought about this as well, as we've been thinking about these um, uh, ways of uh, being thinking about awesomeness, true, genuine awesomeness, the awesomeness of the creator and the creation which he's made us, the awesomeness of his love that he's surrounded us with, and one other thought as well. You know, I guess we're all familiar with that phrase that's used sometimes in political circles about power sharing. It's normally a political arrangement where uh, different or opposing groups of, uh, take part in government together. And it can sometimes be a very fragile thing. Back in 1994, power sharing took place in South Africa after years of apartheid. And that led to a fairly, at the time, fairly smooth transition uh, from apartheid to what was called a unitary democratic state. And yet about the same time, 1,500 miles north in Rwanda, um, a similar kind of power-sharing agreement, the Arusha uh, Peace Accord, sadly broke down and the awful genocide of 1994 uh, took place when something like one-eighth of the population uh, were killed in that country. Power sharing is a, a, a fragile kind of thing. But within the Christian context, there is another story of power sharing. And it's about the way that God has shared power with those who've accepted his gift of love and those who've become the followers of Jesus. And that's us. And as you remember, as the earthly life of Jesus came to an end, he left with them what he called the gift that was going to be given by the Father, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of those who, to those who become committed to follow in his way and seek for the kingdom of God. 
And as we know, that uh, promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and suddenly the uh, very ordinary, rather timid um, disciples of Jesus were transformed into people who were really quite different. They were full of a confidence, a confidence that was not of their own and they were never quite the same again. Now that power sharing, as I put it, that sharing of God's power is put for us in a very, I think, quite astonishing language in one of Paul's letters. It's um, his letter to the Ephesians. He says in the first chapter of his letter to the Ephesians that the, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work in us. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work in us. And I just ask you to imagine a little picture to illustrate this, if you like, of a sort of a family-type scenario where mum and dad are taking their children uh, to see grandma and granddad for a few days and they decide that they will leave it until after work, wait till the evening comes and the traffic will be lighter because they've got two or three hours to travel. Uh, and as they bundle the children into the car in their night clothes so that they can go off to sleep uh, on the journey, um, they look up and uh, mother points out to the fact that the moon is in the sky, you know, and she says to the children, the sun's gone to bed and so can you now. You can go to sleep on the journey and not keep asking, are we there yet? Um, and then two or three hours later, you know, the children having dropped off to sleep with the um, uh, movement of the car, they arrive at uh, grandma and granddad's and uh, the children are lifted out of the car and one of them wakes up as they're carried into the house. They look up and they see a moon in the sky. They say, oh, grandma's got a moon as well. <laughs> but of course, mum says, it's not grandma's moon, it's the same as ours. There is only one moon. It's that kind of thing that Paul is saying when he says the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that is at work in you. I find that quite an astonishing thought because we're thinking about the power that raised Jesus from the dead, the most miraculous thing that has happened in the history of the world and that for those of us who are Christians we see as the centre of history uh, in the world. Um, that power that God used there is the power that he makes available to you and to me, those of us who are the followers of Jesus. That is astonishing. But it's, of course, why the followers of Jesus in many centuries have been able to sometimes face the most appalling conditions and the most challenging situations and be able to rise above them and be triumphant in them. It's why the... Stephen, the first Christian martyr, and a whole range of Christian saints and martyrs after him were able to stand firm and even know peace as they faced death. It's why somebody could have the strength of character like Desmond Tutu, the Archbishop of uh, South Africa some years ago, uh, and some of his fellow uh, bishops placing themselves uh, in front of an armoured car that had been sent in by the government of the time uh, to a group of young people that they were trying to address uh, and speak to. They put themselves between this armoured car and the young people. It's why the followers of Jesus have been able to put so often put their own self, selfish concerns aside and really commit themselves to other people. 
the sort of Mother Teresa type thing. And it's why the followers of Jesus are so often the means of bringing healing and reconciliation uh, to sick people and uh, reconciliation to broken communities and hope to people who are in despair. And it's not just the stories of high-profile people whose biographies have been written and whose names we all know. It's the stories of ordinary people like you and like me. Not content with showering his love on us in an undeserved way, God then goes on to share his power with those of us who are the followers of Jesus. And it is that same power that raised Jesus from the dead which is at work in us. What an awesome God. Awesome in creation. Awesome in love. And awesome in the power that uh, can flow into your life and into mine. And I trust that when we sense something of that awesomeness of God, that we are led to wonder and to praise and just to opening our lives afresh to let that power come in. I'm quite glad we got rid of those coffee mugs, really. They weren't particularly useful. And they certainly weren't awesome. But I know someone who is.